Yeah! <laughs> hey, everybody! Are you ready to do the Macarena? You hear that? Ooh. Everybody knows the dance moves, don't you? We're doing it. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm doing it with one hand because I'm holding my phone recording the other one. Uh, yeah. There's there's the wonderful lyrics. Alright, stop. That's so in keeping with the emotional tone of the film we're reviewing. Indeed. Uh, welcome to this very musical... Uh, no, not really true. Welcome to this episode of Ages of Cinema. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for listening to us on whatever uh, podcast service you have. Uh, as always, I am Jack, and with me... Wifely duties, Corey. And uh, we decided to have some duties tonight of, uh, we, we took a little trip into some, uh, uh conservative territory, <laughs> you could say. Well, I don't know if that's totally fair, but we'll get to that. Um, we saw the new Clint Eastwood movie, uh, which you may have been hearing, uh, just a little bit about in the news, just a little bit. Uh, it's a movie called Richard Jewell. Um, not like the cigarettes, actually like Jewel. Yeah. It'd be funny if his name was Richard J-U-U-L, yes. and it was about, like, you know, just, it'd be like a guy who's, like, a drug dealer or something. <laughs> it's like the the sad saga of Richard Jewel. When, <laughs> when you were getting popcorn before the movie started, yeah. you missed the ad, the anti-vaping ad. The anti-vaping ad at the movies? Yeah. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Oh, like vaping isn't a thing. God, it's like that—that that is something that the press is hyped up, but which is ironic given what this movie's about. But um, yeah. So this movie, um, for those of you who don't know, this is based on, uh, well, as they always say at the beginning of a of a trailer, based on a true story. You know, you always have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, but this is about the. Uh, the case of the uh, bombing in uh, Centennial Park in Atlanta. This was during the Olympics in the summer of uh, 96. Um, there was a security guard uh, named uh, John Jacob Jingleheimer. No, Richard Jewell. <laughs> Who else would it be? Um, he, he, fought, he discovers that there's a bomb. He, try, he and all these other officers tried to get everybody away. Um, and just in the nick of time, they do before the bomb goes off, and I guess, did they say in the movie that there were casualties? Yes, they said two people died, and approximately a hundred people were injured. Okay, yeah. So, because at first I thought that there were no casualties, but, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, two is still, you know, sad, but it's not, you know, as bad as it, you know, could have been. Well, they mention in the movie that... Because some drunk kids kicked the backpack with the bomb over, mm -hmm. it changed the trajectory of the bomb. A likely story. Yeah. No, no, I, I believe that. That that's a good. That's an interesting little detail that I could probably buy. Um, but the majority of the movie isn't about that because, I mean, it's it's another case of. It, there, there's been a series of these movies that Eastwood's done, and we'll, we'll also expound on that a little bit, where you have the big event, but then you have, you know, what's the rest of the story around it? And the story with this is that Richard Jewell became the 
the target of an investigation, even though he was, you know, he did a very good thing by finding this bomb and getting everyone away and all that. But the FBI and the press went after him, and so he had to clear his name. You know, story, you know, railroaded story. We, we've seen this kind of thing before. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of another movie that's kind of like this, and and I'm sure if I thought long enough, I'd come up with something. I mean, it's the, the this this kind of movie has been you know happened here and there over the years, um, but and even to the like you know just and of course with Eastwood, his whole thing in the past, especially in particular in the past like 15, 20 years, is you know what is a hero heroes <laughs> you know that's that's gonna be my legacy <laughs> heroes uh, don't call me a hero <laughs> uh, you know and um the thing about this movie is we we talked briefly about this on our ride home this is actually a pretty entertaining movie yeah my very short review of this movie is i liked it it was thoroughly entertaining the lead performance was spectacular. Yeah, that that's the thing that needs to be singled out the most. Now there are reservations about this movie, and yeah. I knew, th- and we both knew them going in, and you might know them too, and we'll discuss that obviously. But yeah, it's worth pointing out first that the actor who plays Richard Jewell, who might not be known to like a lot of audiences, but you've seen him. His name is. Uh, Paul Walter Hauser. You might have seen him in I, Tonya. You might have seen him in I, Tonya. You might have seen him in Black Klansman. Yeah, he was in Black which, Klansman. Which is funny because there's a line in this movie that made me think of that. Because they ask, because one of the questions he gets at, Richard Jewell gets asked um, during questioning is, do you, uh, you know, are you fi- affiliated with the KKK? Do you know anybody who's affiliated with the KKK? And he's like, not intentionally. <laughs> and, and his character if you see black Klansman, he, he I, some people actually criticized the movie in a way because they thought oh that's way too over the top but but no it's but the funniest thing though too with i Tanya, i'm not sure if you're aware of this that uh apparently at the time uh in, in 96 with this richard jewel thing you know, I guess you know, I wasn't paying attention because, you know, I was 12. I had, you know, I had other things I was focused on than watching stuff about this case. But Jay Leno, in one of his monologues, had made jokes about Richard Jewell and said he looked like the guy, uh, Sean Eckhart, from I, Tonya. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a small world. It's a very small world. It's like a very small acting pool, uh, casting pool for people who could have played both Sean Eckhart, the, the dumbass mastermind of the I, Tanya story, Tanya Harding story, and Richard Jewell. Now, I should say, we're going to review the movie primarily as an independent work and not make a lot of comparisons to the real truth because we don't know much about the real truth. When I first saw the trailer for this movie, I had never heard of Richard Jewell. I had absolutely no idea who he was. I knew very vaguely that 
there was a bomb planted around the 1996 Olympics. But even now, I don't really know anything about the real case. See, I actually see. I was to the point where I didn't even remember if a bomb went off. I thought it was a bomb scare. But uh, yeah, I guess as this movie shows, yeah, a bomb did go off. Um, and again, luckily, luckily, pe- mo- except for two people, everyone survived. Um, but but the thing is, though, with this movie, I, I'm, you know, we'll talk about the movie, and uh, I don't know a whole lot about the real case either, except for little things that I've been reading, you know, through social media, through reporting about how, in a twist of fate, this movie is also getting things wrong about another person well, in the movie. I was going to say, we know something in the movie, something kind of pivotal is fabricated. Yes. Which necessarily makes me a little suspect about the truthfulness of the movie. I will or, say... Or you might say truthiness. <laughs> Th- this movie has some truthiness to it. So I will say that it's an entertaining movie. I feel like it's overly long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it is a little too long. Like, for example, there was one little point um, and well, I want to get back to Paul, to Hauser for in a moment, but this is just something I want to mention really quick. Like, there's this one part in the movie where, like, they show it's supposed to be like a montage showing um, Kathy Scruggs, the reporter, like you know, typing out stories, and then that thing that we've seen a million times in movies where here's the newspaper, here's the newspaper headline, here's the newspaper, and that felt kind of lazy. Like, you could have cut that out and not missed much, and maybe there could have been a better way to show time passing instead of doing that. Well, I think the thing is, the Kathy Scruggs character is written the way she's written and played the way she's played, because I think Eastwood thought the movie needed a very two-dimensional villain figure. Well, there are, you know, well there are two figures. I mean, there's her and then there's the the FBI agent played by John Hamm who now I'm I'm blanking on his character name. Um but I want to get back to though the to to Paul Walter Hauser for a second. He's the reason to see this movie. He almost single-handedly makes this Frankly, the best Clint Eastwood movie that I might have seen in a decade. Yes. You know, like now, granted, for me, now for me personally, the competition hasn't been that strong, <laughs> but it's still like he manages to make Richard Jewell, you know, very captivating in ways that you understand where he's coming from. But at the same time, you understand why he has come to the point he has in his life in certain ways, because he's someone who looks up so much to law enforcement, and it's like he's not entirely stupid, but he does so many dumb things. Well, one of the reasons why I thought this movie as entertaining as it is, is too long, is because one of the one of this movie's strengths is how quickly it establishes who Richard Jewell is. Oh I, yeah, absolutely. I think Clint Eastwood, within his opening scene, within the first scene, I felt like I had a really good handle on who Richard Jewell was. And I think the beginning of this movie and the first few scenes are a masterclass 
and showing us a lot about a character. I think the first act of this movie, like the first act of this movie, I think is the best part of the movie. Oh, yeah. Because it's, you know, you, you get introduced to Jewel very, very quickly. Uh, he also, you also, intro you introduce the dynamic between him and Sam Rockwell, who plays his lawyer. Uh, was his name like Wally? What Walter? I think his name is Walter. Walton. Walton, sorry. Um, Walton Books. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, he... Or is it Watson? Watson, thank you. I, it started with a W. I was close. Damn it. Uh, Richard Jewell would be happy with me with, like, my deductive powers. Um, no, it's... They very quickly establish who he is. Um, they also, you know, also you, they establish his dynamic with uh, his mother... Uh, played by Kathy Bates. Um, they, yeah, and then you immediately understand how he comes to working at the security for this, uh, for the Olympics. It's not, you know, he hasn't been working this job steadily. He's frankly had some stumbles because it's, I guess, from the movie's point of view, it almost tries to make it seem like he law enforces a little too hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the the other if the other story of Richard Jewell before the bombing happened could have been called Law Hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cuz cuz what makes it so fascinating though once this whole Michigas happens with uh, the media and the FBI is that Jewell is we we know that he has fucked up at times. Well, yeah, I think as when I said you only up the movie is this is obviously a very horrible thing that happened to someone who did something very heroic. And I am very sympathetic to Richard Jewell. He was really dealt a bad hand. Yeah, he was also a plausible suspect for a wide variety of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that. To Eastwood and the writer Billy Ray's credit, they do, I think, show some shades of, well, they, well, they try to show, a, at least with the character himself. I'm, uh, and I could we could talk about the antagonists in a minute, because that's a whole other kettle of fish. But with just the character, they there's a lot of complexity there, because you know that this guy didn't do it. You know, just through history, you know that. But you also know that he's not making it easy. He's he's real, like, and yet I still was feeling for him because, frankly, I've probably found myself at times saying like the wrong thing or the dumb thing. And I think Eastwood and, and Billy Ray they know that, so the audience can, you know, find some more empathy with him. Well, I think that's what's tragic about his story is because we can see how heroic he was, but you don't have to be a snidely whiplash mustard, like, mustard. <laughs> mustache. Yes, the snidely whiplash twirling his mustard. <laughs> mustache twirling villain to think that this guy was maybe involved, given his checkered his given his checkered past history. That, that he was arrested for impersonating an officer, that he... You know, as I said, he lawed too hard. Yeah. He was like, 
way too enthusiastic and even i think they mentioned that he got in like a physical altercation with some other people and yeah and he had a criminal record and he owned a ton of guns and he didn't pay his taxes and yeah that part was a little odd that was an interesting little touch that like i didn't pay, i haven't paid my taxes in two years which is why i feel like the as sad as what happened to richard joel is I don't think law enforcement were necessarily driven by evil, you know, capital E evil. It, somebody, I, I think it was in the, uh, I, I listened to the double toasted review before um, going to see the movie and they made a good point that in a way this happening, this whole Richard Jewell being there, it was a fluke, you could say. Like, it's almost like a fluke that he happened to be there just that time and happened to think, like, oh, hey, this package, this this bag looks a bit more suspicious than usual. It's not through necessarily, like, his, you know, I've gotten to such a high point in my life. It's just this place, this time. Well, it's because he laws so hard. <laughs> no, that's why. Because he's a really do-it-by-the-book kind of guy, and none of the other law enforcement are. So when he's drawing their attention to yeah. the bag, everyone else in law, all the other cops are like, it's nothing, don't worry about it, it's just a bunch of beers. And yeah. earlier in the movie, we see Richard Joel tracking a guy with a big, heavy backpack yes. that's just full of beers. Yes. So... I feel like the very thing that got Richard Jewell in trouble earlier in his life, lying hard, yeah, is the very thing that made him heroic in this one yeah. instance. Yeah, in this one instance, um, which you know, it, it's you know, to his credit that he managed to do that and you know, did all of that. Um, now, you know, so that part of the movie is solid and. The and again the acting from Hauser like he manages to play the parts that need to be funny yeah very funny I mean there are some very awkward parts in this movie like there are moments where his lawyer is you know is trying to tell him look don't say anything just don't just talk. just don't talk just sit there and don't don't say don't say a word and then he just starts talking oh hey officer can I, may I can help you with that and like the looks that Sam Rockwell gives it's like how is he not in the office? Yeah. <laughs> this has been actually a pretty good season for Sam Rockwell in uh, supporting roles, because he was also in uh, uh, Jojo Rabbit, mm. and he had a good role in that. He he, he managed to... Uh, although, it's, it, I think this movie helps to kind of end this, like, streak he's had of playing, like, racists. <laughs> <laughs> so good for you, Sam Rockwell. Um, and he's quite he's quite good in the yeah. movie too. Kathy Bates is good. Kathy Bates is really good. And although we'll talk about their characters, I think Olivia Wilde and John Hamm played their roles as best as they could, given the circumstances. I don't know. See, I think. Do you Olivia think that? Do you think that they were bad? I think John Hamm was good. I think Olivia Wilde. It's a bad performance as well. You know I what? Think so. You know what? I wonder with her. I, I have to wonder if, you know, there are certain actors who, you know, Eastwood's method, as uh, some of you may know, and if you don't, I'll, I'll explain just in one sentence. Eastwood's a one-take man, if he can help. Like, he might shoot two, 
which might be a stretch. <laughs> you know, maybe in that case, you know, maybe the camera wasn't quite in position. But he's usually a guy who's like, all right, one take. That's no, and he'll undertake. He won't say cut. He'll say that's enough of that shit. Or when I, <laughs> and so I wonder if Olivia Wilde though maybe, maybe if he had taken a few more takes, he could have gotten a better performance. Or when I say it's bad, I want to be clear. I think it's bad for this specific film because yeah, it's tonally completely different than every other performance in the film. She, she's been yeah. That, that's the thing. Like maybe in another movie, this performance would have like been like fine and, and acceptable. In the tone of the rest of the film, it's very cartoony. She feels like she's been airlifted in from a completely different movie. It she feels like she was airlifted in from like uh, I don't know, like a uh, like a Ryan Murphy show or something. <laughs> Yeah. Like, very big. Yeah, it's a very vampy, broad performance, and... There's scene, there's, like... And even, like, the lighting doesn't help do her favors either. There's, like, the scene where she pitches the story to the editors. Like, Eastwood has her slathered in, like, shade light. Yeah, and so much eyeliner. Oh, so much eyeliner. So much eyeliner. So, I think it's a bad performance... Because it bulges out of the film. Literally every other actor is at one is kind of pitching it in a very naturalistic way. Yeah. And you know, I like a bitchy vampy performance as much as the next person, but it it's really jarring in the context. It's of very the it's very jarring because and I think I can I want let's move on from Hauser and let's talk about this character, because this is where a lot of the controversy has been, co- you know, coming from. It, it's also just, I, she probably, she was not given a great character, like, to work with. She's given this two-dimensional, at best two-dimensional, like, very just, I'm the dogged reporter who's out for a story, and I, you know, I'm the type of character that will hide out in a person's car and then be like, ha! Ah! You know, <laughs> and ask you questions. And, yeah, it's just... It it feels like it 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 feels almost like a hit piece against her. Some and it's like a but it's, and it's ironic because it's given what the rest of the movie is about. Yeah. It, like again, I don't know who the real Kathy Scruggs is. You know, like from what I've read about her on social media, she was she did have like a big personality, but. Come on, guys. Like, come on. Like, you couldn't have to- maybe tried to have her tone it down a little bit. Like, you can have a woman be, you know, have menace, but, you know, instead of being at 11, you could have it at 6. Well, I I felt like Olivia Wilde stumbled off an off, off, off Broadway rendition of To Die For. <laughs> Oh, high five for that reference. I should have thought of that. Yeah. It's a bit like to die for if maybe she had like five extra IQ points. Yeah. But just five. And yeah, yeah, she's playing like the I'm the go getting reporter who will break the story about this guy who, you know, fits the profile. And it's like. What I said to you when I heard the scandal around this, I think the main scandal is 
The movie shows her sleeping with the John Hamm character to get a scoop, yes. and this did not happen. Yeah, that's that's the main point of contention. That's even uh, the Atlanta Journal. Uh, what's the full name of the paper? It's the Atlanta. Well, sent the, the AJC is what's called. The initials are for. They're actually. I I've read that they're filing a defamation suit against Warner Brothers. Well, what I, I wonder how that's gonna go. If you know, if she, I mean she, I mean she did write these articles about Richard Jewell, so that part is still true. It's just how she got her story. You know, this movie alleges that she fucked an FBI agent to get to get the name. That's that's really screwed up. Well, what I said to you when we first heard of this controversy before we saw the movie, why didn't they just give the character a different name? They wouldn't have to change a word of the script. All they had to do was, instead of calling her Kathy Scruggs, call her, like, Kate... Um, spaniel, or Dude, you, and it's it's done all the time. And I was talking about this before with you earlier today that in Casino, you know, Lefty Rosenthal becomes Ace Rothstein. Yeah, or we literally just saw a movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yes, which featured. Uh, oh, by the way, you should go see that. It's yeah, very the movie, good movie was really good, and that movie featured a journalist character where the movie took significant liberties with the real person. So when the real person read the script for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, he said, "This is a good script. I like it." But because the version of me in this story is not who I am, yeah. and you've significantly altered my life, yeah. just call me by another name. Yeah. And now, and in this case, what makes it a little more unsavory is Kathy Scruggs is dead. Yes. And that's, by the way, a thing the movie doesn't point out in the end titles. It mentions Richard Jewell died uh, by at forty four, um, but yeah, so she can't she can't do what the real guy in Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood did, you know. So that's why it feels. But on the now to play devil's advocate. Which is going to sound like a weird thing to do, but to and not really necessarily to play devil's advocate, but to here's what I want to say: that moment with John Hamm, and it's really just one scene. I feel like it's part of just a bigger of a greater issue just with this character in the movie. It's if it's actually of a piece with how this character is made to represent the villain press. Which is, you know, again, I, I'm sure that, you know, there are a lot, of, you know, the press does do that to people. They do end up, you know, running with a story and, you know, they try to get headlines and stuff like that. But it, there, but there's nothing else that shows as a counter to that. Like, if you were to go by the press just from this movie, the press are just complete assholes who will go out and, you know, get a, you know, an innocent guy. Yeah, and even for me, the John Hamm character is treated very differently in the movie because yes, I don't think the movie point. demonizes him, even though he's obviously wrong about Richard Jewell, and even though he does some shady things, and even at the very end of the movie, when Richard Jewell gets the letter saying he's exonerated, John Hamm says to him, I still think you're guilty. The movie shames her. It doesn't shame him. That's the difference. Like the movie near the end, 
Kathy Scruggs's character finally does realize, oh God, you know, I did screw up. Uh, oh, and you know, she has some like moments where she's looking on at some speeches and you know, tears up, but it, it doesn't feel like that's like they're trying to humanize her there. It just feels kind of cheap. Well, yeah, and my biggest thing, as I said earlier, is if the entire movie was kind of pitched at the level that Olivia Wilde is playing at. Yeah. But... If it was maybe more in the tone of I, Tonya. Yeah. That's a great example. Like, if this was a movie with, like, an I, Tonya tone, I think Olivia Wilde's performance would... Yeah. Now, I think the controversy around the portrayal of Kathy Scruggs makes her seem like she's a bigger part of the movie than she is. Uh-huh. I don't... She's really not a prominent, prominent character in the movie. No, it's just the movie grinds to a halt. When You know, it's interesting. I mentioned earlier about Sam Rockwell and Jojo Rabbit. This actually has, like, the problem I had with Jojo Rabbit, which was Taika Waititi is Hitler. Mm. Now, I know that for a number of people, you know, they love Waititi and as Hitler, the imaginary Hitler in, in Jojo Rabbit, and, you know, you know your opinion's I guess valid, but good for you. Uh, but to me, tonally, it every time he popped up in that in the movie, it kind of ground it to a halt and took away from what was otherwise a more tonally consistent story um, or approach to that material. And that's the kind of case here. Yeah, whenever she pops up, you have like a really you know realistic, dramatic mo- scene between like mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell and uh, Paul. Uh, Hauser, and then ah, there's Sylvia Wild, yeah. and it, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's just, I, I, yeah, it's, it's not good writing with her character. It's not uh very, she, she just doesn't have much depth, and I, yeah, she's not a huge part of the movie, but she is still a significant component of it. Yeah, so I would say. I still think this is a good movie. I don't think the treatment of Kathy Scruggs is a deal breaker by any means. This is still a good movie. It is. But because I also think the movie is too long, and that's my other criticism of it, maybe if her character was largely on the cutting room floor, it would have been a better film. Yeah. Um, Now, I want to leap off, and I don't know how else to do this, but... um, I think another thing watching this movie... And again, I do... I, this is where I'm more conflicted. It's not even with the Kathy Scruggs thing, because again, but that's it's a symptom of a much larger issue to me. You know, I I was telling you this that I, you know, I often tell like Eng- when I teach English classes, when you're reading a, a piece of text, you know, read in between the lines and read beyond the lines. Make sure you know, try to see, you know, if there are details that the author is putting in between the material and then see if there is also you know a much larger context to things and i i have to, again i don't know when the article was first written i should have done a little more research and found out when this article that they based the movie on was written um but that it's this movie is coming out now that Clint Eastwood felt like this is the story to tell right now, that it just, 
there's a part of me that feels rubbed the wrong way in certain respects as far as it being a story about a you know a figure who you know might be a little uh not so sharp but is a real hero and is being railroaded by the press and the fbi yeah gee i'm wondering if that sounds at all familiar <laughs> to people who have been following the news for the past few years and look and it's not you know it's not it's not a secret that clint eastwood is you know a conservative he fucking talk to an empty chair at the uh -huh. rnc uh, if you want if you want to know about that man i was high for like uh -huh. watching tv that night that the rnc like that that was going on and i thought i was just <laughs> <laughs> i was like what is going on and you know he also i forget the exact quote but after trump was elected he said people are pussies for thinking that this is such a big deal. So I, and I know that that doesn't necessarily ref impact this story itself. Like you could just watch this story and try to divorce yourself from that. But I just, I couldn't mm. at points. Like I was just thinking about, oh, I get it. You know, the press just is writing all lies and you know, how can you trust the press? And the FBI isn't looking for the real criminals. I, you know, they're not looking into corruption in Ukraine, for <laughs> example. You know, they're looking at the wrong guy. You know, oh, these these FBI agents, they're 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 fucking around on the job. Uh, you know, how can we trust them when their biases? I don't know. Was that at all? Were you thinking about that at all? Not much. The I did tell you though, I thought it was kind of funny. Near the end of the movie, there's this scene where Richard Jewell is going to talk to the FBI, and a lot of this scene is staged in a hallway. Yeah. And because it's a law enforcement building, they have what was at the time the state flag of Georgia. It's not the state flag of Georgia anymore. But for those of you who don't know, the state the old state flag of Georgia was a, like a modified Confederate flag. It was not like a total Confederate flag. It was like a modified. How long did, did, did they finally change it? Yeah, it's not the Confederate flag. Okay. It's not well, the state flag God. of Georgia anymore. But the only thing was there's this scene that goes on for a while in this hallway. And that camera is just trained on that Confederate flag. Yeah. Like, now... To be fair, I am being extra critical because I know Clint Eastwood's a Republican. I'm not going to pretend. No, no, but it's that... also no, but it's not just that. It's because as a filmmaker, you look for what is in the frame, and you know it's it could be that or it could be like. But the flag is so big too; it takes up almost the entire frame. Yeah, I mean, he'd probably try to say, well. There was a flag of that actually in the office, but no, that's, I think there is a message there. And if it isn't even that Eastwood was consciously thinking of it, I have to think that for people who are more Trump people watching this movie, it's just subliminal. It's just like, I feel like there are little messages in this movie that are saying, you know, you know, like people are, you know, the people are really the heroes are being targeted. And 
I don't know. Maybe I don't know if I'm being articulate enough in what I'm trying to say. I get what say. you're saying. Like, I, I'm not again. This movie is again very on its own terms. Eastwood really does is a good director here. Again, much better than I've seen him recently. Um, I just, I, I I just could feel like there was some when when I tried to look for a political message to the movie. It you know at best there was some complexity and nuance, but there at worst it was also preaching a thing of, of you know don't trust the FBI and you know in law enforcement which you know that's fair but you know don't trust them for other reasons. I get a stronger anti press message than anti law enforcement message personally mm. when I was watching it. Yeah, no, that that's 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 a good point. No, the, the the press comes off much worse in in this movie. Like the press comes off as we do nothing except you know spread bullshit and um you know and, and maybe like Bryant Gumble has you know the scoop on some things. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that yeah no, the, the but that that's also another issue too that in conservative. Uh, as far as how conservatives look at the world, you know, fake news, the idea that, you know, you can't trust what the mainstream media is telling you, you know, it, it's, that's what conflicts me a bit more about recommending this movie is that there is, I think a conservative message to the film that I'm just not completely comfortable with. But again, it's, but at the same time, I still like the movie. So I, I don't know. It's, it's funny, like I, now, and now I'm thinking about it a little bit more, and it is reminding me, though, of you know, this past summer I rewatched uh, Dirty Harry. Yeah. You know, which is, of course, you know, maybe Clint Eastwood's most famous character, which I've never seen. Oh God! Did he direct so Dirty Harry too, or did he, he directed just- one of them? He directed the fourth one, uh, Sudden okay. Impact. That's the one that has "Go ahead, make my day." Wait, that's not the first one. No, the, well, there are two catchphrases. The first in Dirty Harry proper. That's the first. That's the one, nineteen seventy one. That's the one that has, you know, you have to ask yourself a question: Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> you know, that's Dirty Harry. Okay. Make my day is yeah. That was that came later. How many Dirty Harry movies are there? Five. Have you seen all five of them? Yeah. I've never seen any of them, but you know the last the Dirty Harry movie. What? The Deadpool. <laughs> How long was he making them? Like I know um, I'm asking you all these questions. It, it was a, it was over a span of like 20 years. He did five of them, and you know it's funny because he would be asked over and over, like, "Are you going to come back to Dirty Harry?" And he'd make a joke, "Yeah, maybe we maybe we catch up to Dirty Harry, and he's <laughs> you know fly fishing." And uh, and then of course we got instead Gran Torino, <laughs> which is not you know that's not a Dirty Harry character, but it's he's Dirty Harry ish um but well but my point was though and bring that up is dirty harry is i think is a great movie it also leans into some kind of right leaning territory like it, it kind of makes an implicit argument that you know this whole thing of victim you know you know that the these criminals you know that they need to have their rights read to them and be treated decently it's a bunch of crap you know, it's, uh, you know, what about the victims, you know, and, uh, and yet it's still an expertly 
made thrilling movie and and that's why i would say for at least like 80 percent of richard jewell yeah like is it does it all as you said it is a little too long it uh it, it start it definitely starts to feel its weight near the end um but it but it does have as far as just directing and acting it's it's solid I thought they did a I thought he did a really good job, he being Eastwood, did a really good job with the bombing scene as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, that's a great point too, how he coordinates all that. Um it would have been awkward if he had included the Macarena in that sequence. <laughs> but that's why I, I we started off this episode with the Macarena, because there's a part where he they show two separate nights at the uh, at at the Olympics, like, you know, kind of people come into this park to celebrate and dance, listen to music. And yeah, on the first night, there's like a big crane shot showing the Macarena. That's not something I thought I'd see in 2019. <laughs> Another weird thing for this year. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's like <laughs> Clint Eastwood directing the Macarena. Who knew? Um, yeah, but- I think that's why the movie feels a little shaggy and draggy towards the end because mm-hmm. a lot of it is just so efficient and well-made. Yeah, that- well, that's that's been a little bit of a problem with a lot of his movies recently. I mean, The Mule dr- was very languid. God, don't even get me started on 1517 to Paris. You've heard me rant about that. You might have not heard me rant about on this podcast, but... That is easily his worst movie, and it's because it's boring as hell. Um, I don't know if Sully was a little bit shaggy too, but Sully was that was just a little bit oddly structured. Yeah, and Sully was like, "It was okay." It had it. See, that was also a case where that the 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 landing the plane sequence was really terrific. Yeah, and you know, American Sniper had those moments too. Um, oh, here's one more thought I wanted to have, though, as far as, and this isn't about, this is more about connecting, uh, this with another Eastwood movie. I wonder what Eastwood thinks of the FBI, though, given, uh, they made Jay Edgar. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually, we haven't seen that since it came out in the theater, but I liked his Jay Edgar movie, and I know it got bad reviews and nobody liked it. I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I definitely see some of the faults of that movie, like how Army Hammer's makeup makes him look like Grandpa from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> I wish I had... I haven't seen it since it came out in the theater. And do you remember what year it came out? Uh, it was like seven or eight years ago. So I don't remember it super well, but I remember it got bad reviews well, it was the rare DiCaprio movie to not make like a hundred million bucks. Yeah, like I know it didn't do well at the box office. It didn't get good reviews, and we saw. Yeah, I thought it was all right. I mean, I I think I like Richard Jewell a little bit more. Me too. But um, I like Richard Jewell more, and but yeah, it just but it occurred to me that this you have like a double feature of this movie with Richard uh, with Jagger and Richard Jewell, and it's his like FBI diss track. <laughs> Of, of a kind. <laughs> I said to you when we left the movie, I don't know how much there is to this movie beyond the lead performance, but the lead performance 
is so good. Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing is um in a way that's also what marks this as kind of like a better version of what he tried to do with the mule last year. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously Eastwood is a terrific actor, but you know, if you took Eastwood out of the mule, it would be even less of a movie than it <laughs> is. Um and yeah, and in this case, yeah, he's such a you you feel for the guy so much that you know you look past the he's you know cop. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. I I respect all law enforcement. Uh, uh, I but, would but, like to say totally gratuitously, it has nothing to do with our review. Clint Eastwood's best film is Play Misty for me. Oh yeah, we might have not. I don't know if we ever talked about this. Uh, there was one day uh, a couple of years ago where. We watched uh, in one day The Beguiled and Play Misty for Me. And I think that was where you peaked with Eastwood. Yes. I peaked with Eastwood with The Beguiled and Play Misty for Me. That was a great year for him because that was also Dirty Harry came out that year too. I haven't seen Dirty Harry, but I absolutely love Play Misty for Me. It is amazing. it's It's his lifetime movie. I know. I love it so much. And I've seen, I haven't seen all of Eastwood's movies by any means, but I've seen some of his other critically acclaimed movies. I mean, if, if you've seen Arrested Development, uh, if nothing else, you should see it to, to get Jessica Walter and uh, <laughs> what she does in Play Misty for me is pretty fantastic. I actually, I saw The Unforgiven a really long time ago, and I have no memory of it by now. Oh, well, Unforgiven's great. Um, and like I've seen Mystic River, yeah, I Mystic still River throw down great. for Play Misty for me as his best film. Your opinion is fine. I I I think I love your beautiful mind, <laughs> and that's why I, you know, that's why I love having podcasts with people who have opinions like this because <laughs> you know I'm not sure if I would know anyone else who thinks that is his best movie um yeah so richard jewel not as good as play misty for me no not as good as play misty for me (laughs) all right uh i think we're kind of winding down here um i'm not sure if i have much else to say um except that i i completely understand if you feel like you don't want to see the movie because of the controversy like i actually i do get it like if you want to not pay a seat in the theater if you want to wait maybe till if you're curious to wait till video or, or tv or tv i get that um or, or not watch it at all but if you are if you do if you are just hungry to see you know a real movie yeah you know in theaters i mean this is more or less a real movie you know, again it has real problems but it is like a solid you know, thumbs up type movie. Yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. And I'm glad I, I'm glad I supported an actual real movie in, I'm glad I supported a movie financially that was not a reboot quill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we don't know if there will be a Richard Jewell cinematic universe yet. (laughs) Um, You know, it would be interesting though. One last note. It'd be interesting though, if Eastwood could, make a movie that's not based on a true story again. I know. Because that's been all he's... The last time he made a movie that I don't think was based on a real story was 
And this is a movie that nobody saw except me. He made this movie in 2010 called Hereafter. Which I heard was bad. It was with Matt Damon. And yeah, it was it was one of his... Yeah, Aren't some movies. people like killed in a wave and it's about... It's, like killed in a tsunami or something? Oh, I forgot about that. I'm just Maybe asking it is. I didn't see the movie. No, wait. No, I think you're right. No, it. No, I'm wrong. It did include the two. Yeah, it did include the 2004 tsunami. Well, you know what he needs to do. Christ, he hasn't made a movie that was original script since Grand Torino. And Grand Torino was a good movie. Well, in its special way, it's, it's a fun movie. Well, you know what he needs to do. Play Misty for me, cinematic universe. He's still alive. Jessica Walter's still alive. Um. <laughs> Do you remember the end of Play Misty for me? Bring them back! <laughs> Zombies. Alright. Resurrection. Think we, I think we gotta end there. Play <laughs> Misty for me, cinematic universe. They're all so old. Oh, that would be funny, though, if his character in that is still a DJ. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and everybody comments to him, like... What are you doing here, Gramps? You know, nobody listens to radio anymore. Maybe. And then, like, he starts getting calls. And it's like, wait, someone's asking to play Misty. But, but, wait, I thought that bitch died. And. Well, maybe it could be like the Stalked by My Doctor movies, where it's a new woman every movie, same Clint. Oh, God, if someone's stalking him, though, I mean, he's like 90. Yeah. God, like, who's his, like, who's he have in the house to make him feel young? Kirk Douglas? <laughs> We've got to save his career where <laughs> by making the play Misty for me. But, the pro- but, but he can't, but he doesn't have that hair anymore. If you haven't seen Play Misty for me, he looks in that movie like he should have been Wolverine. Yeah. He has, like, the Logan hair. Man, I bet those kids from Gran Torino never did any other acting, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. It's a good movie, but they weren't that good. Yeah. Now. So All play right. Misty for me, Sinek Universe. If you think that's a good idea, wait, wait, just cinema at gmail.com. I wouldn't mind watching, like, a Lifetime movie with the Olivia Wilde character ah. in it, but... Maybe that could be its own movie. Like, if you think about it, the way that... Uh, um, uh, uh, the to die for was a movie, and then there was another movie from that real case. Yeah, that was a separate movie. So, but man, does she bulge out of this movie in a not good way? Yeah, this is not Olivia Wilde's best contribution to cinema in 2019. Yeah, that, that's all I'll say about it. Like, you know, I like her a lot, but you know, book smart. All right, um, Wage of Cinema Gmail, Facebook, Twitter. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. When we come back, we always love talking about movies. Thank you for listening to us ramble about this movie and Clint Eastwood. Yes. And so, on behalf of Wages of Cinema, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And the Wages of Cinema is... Play Misty for me. There's a bomb in Centennial Park. Say it. Again, (laughs) come on, do it again. It's a bomb in Centennial Park. Say it. (laughs) Bomb in Centennial Park! All right, goodbye.